It's Storming the Court with Ryan Connell. Welcome to Storming the Court. Today is Thursday, April 1st. We have a final four set. Number one, Gonzaga. The number one overall seed, 30 and 0, 29 wins by double digits. Back to their second Final Four in school history. Number one, Baylor, the second best team in college basketball all season long, advanced to their first Final Four since 1950. The third one in program history and the first in 71 seasons. Houston, the two seed out of the Midwest, returning to the Final Four for the first time since 1984. Since the Phi Slamma Jamma era of Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, Houston is back in the Final Four. And then, out of the East region, the quote-unquote Cinderella story of the 2021 NCAA Tournament. 11-seed UCLA back in the Final Four for the first time since 2008. The Bruins, one of the most premier programs in college basketball history, making their 19th appearance in the Final Four. So let's dive into how these four teams got to the Final Four, which will take place this Saturday, April 3rd, in Indianapolis. Gonzaga out of the West region. Some may say they had the easiest path to the Final Four. They continue to show that they can blow teams out of the water. They beat Creighton in the Sweet 16 by 18. They follow that up and beat USC in the Elite Eight by 19 points. That was supposed to be the number one offense versus the number one remaining defense left in the tournament. Well, Gonzaga showed that they are not to be reckoned with. 85-66 the final score. Gonzaga has now won 29 of their 30 games by double figures. All 29 games in which Jalen Suggs plays, Gonzaga has won by double figures. The one game he did not play the whole game in against West Virginia, they won by just five. Gonzaga, there's... Only so many words you could describe. This has been far more impressive than I think anyone has really realized. The fact that they are 30-0, the fact that they have been beating teams by more in the NCAA tournament than they were in the regular season shows just how dominant this team really is. Gonzaga beating opponents in the NCAA tournament by an average of 24 points. They beat WCC opponents by 23.5. So for all the talk that Gonzaga just beats up on their conference schedule, that they just play soft, you know, cushy schedule in the WCC. Their league isn't tough enough. They never get challenged. Well, you throw them in the NCAA tournament, and they did not get challenged by any team in their region as they almost caked-walked their way to the Final Four. Drew Timmy playing like a first-team All-American. Corey Kispert is a first-team All-American. Jalen Suggs definitely a second-team All-American, playing himself possibly into being the number one overall pick in the draft ahead of Cade Cunningham. And I say ahead of Cade Cunningham, not just because he shows that he's a winner, but he continues to show that he's doing it in a variety of ways. For Suggs, it's games where he comes out and scores. Other nights, it's setting up his teammates. His athletic ability for a point guard is off the charts. Everyone always touches on the fact that he was Mr. Football in the, state of, uh, in the state of Minnesota and Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota in the same season. He has all the tools. He's a proven winner. He's won everywhere he's gone. He makes everyone around him better. And his game elevates in the biggest stages. Think of some of the games that he had his biggest performances this year. Probably the biggest game Gonzaga played in the regular season came against Iowa. He had 
eight made threes, finished with just under 30 points. He elevates his game on the biggest spot. Gonzaga now just two wins away from perfection, looking to be the first team since 1976 Indiana to go undefeated and capture the national championship. But this is where the pressure starts to build. There's not as much build-up to the Final Four this year as there have been in years past, being that Gonzaga just played on Tuesday night. They have really three full days before they play again on Saturday night. The build-up and the hype is continuing to ramp up. With each stage, as I said, going into the tournament, with each round that Gonzaga advances, and the one game closer they get of perfection, the pressure only mounts. To this point, Gonzaga has really not shown any stress. And that might be a little bit concerning, because if they are to get challenged against UCLA, or perhaps if they advance in the national championship game against Baylor or Houston, how will they respond? Because it's been, you know, so long since they've been challenged. Sure, they put themselves down by double digits at halftime in the WCC title game against BYU. They battled back and still won by 10. Maybe that was the last true challenge that Gonzaga has really gotten. The NCAA tournament which many people thought, you know, maybe they'd get challenged, or, hey, they've already beat the teams in this region. Well, going into the tournament, they'd already beaten the two, the three, and the four seed in this region, which was Iowa, Kansas, and Virginia. Well, they didn't play any of them coming out of that region. They actually played the five, the six, and the eight, and the 16. So Gonzaga has now beaten, in their region, at some point during the year, Oklahoma, Creighton, USC, Kansas, Iowa, Virginia. All really solid teams. None of them gave them a game. None of them. So Gonzaga into the Final Four for the second time in school history. The only other time was 2017 when they lost to North Carolina in the National Championship. Gonzaga, back where they belong, back in the Final Four. On the pursuit of perfection, we'll have more breaking down the game in just a little bit. Stay tuned on what we think is going to happen here on Storming the Court. Let's go down to UCLA, who Gonzaga is going to play in the NCAA tournament. Out of the East region, the 11 seed UCLA Bruins go from the first four to the final four. After battling back from being down double digits in the first half to Michigan State in the first four game, they come back and win that game in overtime. They get past BYU by 11. They knock off the 14 seed Abilene Christian in the round of 32 by 20. The Sweet 16, probably the game of last weekend, UCLA versus Alabama. UCLA 88, Alabama 78 in overtime. Awesome, awesome game. Bama tied it up with a three, basically as time expired in regulation, only for UCLA to respond and win by 10 points in overtime. And then UCLA in the Elite Eight knocks off number one Michigan 51-49 and an absolute rock fight. When I say rock fight, I mean this game was ugly from start to finish this one was tough to watch it was exactly when you think of Mick Cronin and what he did at Cincinnati this is the game that comes to mind Cincinnati used to try and just wear you down not shoot that great from the floor but just grind you into sand and make you struggle UCLA did that to Michigan this was evident that Michigan had gone a little too far without Isaiah Livers. Franz Wagner, one of ten. Hunter Dickinson was effective, and then Michigan then go then started to go away from him. Mike Smith didn't play all that well. Eli Brooks, up and down type game. Michigan, 
picked their worst game to have their lowest scoring output of the season. 49 points in an Elite 8 game. Not what you want with a chance to go to the Final Four on the line. UCLA 51-49. But the story of that game is none other than Johnny Juzang. Johnny Juzang has been a story throughout this NCAA tournament. Juzang, the transfer from Kentucky, came back to Southern California because of the COVID pandemic. Last year, Kentucky didn't really play that much. Wasn't that really, didn't really have much of an impact. But for UCLA this year, he's been their cog. And he scored 27 points. 27 points against Michigan. UCLA as a team scored 51. Johnny Juzang had 27 of UCLA's 51 points, and they won. They won a game 51-49 with their best player scoring 27 points. Awesome, awesome stuff. UCLA, the second team ever to go from the first four to the final four, joining VCU in 2011. The first year the the first four existed, Shaka Smart and the VCU Rams went all the way to the final four. Now, 10 years later, UCLA and Mick Cronin. Going from the first four to the final four. Not really much of a Cinderella. Uh, It's hard to call one of the best programs in college basketball history a Cinderella story. Sure, they're an 11th seed. Sure, they lost four games uh, heading into the NCAA tournament. They were on a little bit of a schneid. Things weren't going their way. But they were one of the best teams, if not the best team, in the Pac-12 in the regular season. They closed poorly. They lost positioning on the rest of the league. They kind of back backed their way into the NCAA tournament. They escaped the first four, but then things start to click. And I know that this team was capable of making a run. I had them in the Sweet 16. I didn't think they were going to keep this up, though. And this is, I think, where it comes to end for them. Now you have multiple days in between games. You can start to get figured out, and you're running into the buzzsaw that is Gonzaga. UCLA, Mick Cronin, phenomenal job getting UCLA to the Final Four in just his second season at UCLA. That is something John Wooden never did. It took John Wooden 14 years to bring UCLA to the Final Four. John Wooden has 10 national championships to boot. But Mick Cronin, in just his second season in Westwood, taking the Bruins back to the Final Four. We're going to go over to the top upper right-hand quadrant of the bracket, the South Region, where the Baylor Bears advanced to their third Final Four in school history, first since 1950, 81-72 over Arkansas in the Elite Eight. Scott Drew was one of the best rebuilding stories in college basketball. The Baylor program was in shambles. When Scott Drew took over back in 04, Baylor was the Bottom, bottom, bottom of the Big 12. So many players getting into fights with each other on their team. There was suspicion that one of the players on Baylor murdered his former teammate. This program was so far down in the dumps that it was in complete reclamation project. And now, almost 20 years later, Scott Drew finally getting the justification for the job that he's done, bringing this school to their first Final Four since 1950. The 71-year drought is over. The Baylor Bears are back in the Final Four. When you talk Baylor, you got to talk about the three-headed monster of their backcourt. Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Teague. 
No better backcourt in America. When one starts to falter, the other two step up. When Davion Mitchell gets 3 fouls in the first half against Arkansas, it's Teague, it's Butler, it's Adam Flagler coming off the bench, it's Matthew Meyer off the bench leading the charge for the Bears. This team is awesome to watch. They play great defense. Davion Mitchell, front runner for National Player of the Year in their game against Villanova. He willed them in the second half to a nine-point victory when Baylor wasn't making really any shots. It was their defense that led them to this victory. Then they play Arkansas in the Elite Eight. They finally get their shooting. They play up-tempo. This was a clinic from Baylor on how they want to play. Awesome, awesome job for Scott Drew and Baylor. They're in the Final Four for the first time since 1950. And they will draw Houston out of the Midwest region. Houston becomes the first team in NCAA tournament history to only play double-digit seeds and advance to the Final Four. Houston played Cleveland State a 15 seed in the opening round, followed it up with a win over 10 seed Rutgers in the round of 32. They beat 11 seed Syracuse in the Sweet 16, and they capped that off with a win over 12 seeded Oregon State in the Elite Eight. Houston has really gotten the easiest path to the Final Four. I don't want to hear about Gonzaga just rolling through teams, because Gonzaga played teams that, that beat other good teams. Houston played a bunch of upsets, and he played these teams when their luck was running out. The Rutgers game, Houston probably should have lost. Rutgers blew that game. Against Syracuse, Buddy Bayheim went cold. Syracuse had no offense. They scored 46 points, their lowest amount of points in an NCAA tournament game in program history. Then, Houston draws 12-seed Oregon State in the Elite Eight. No 12-seed had ever made the Final Four. No 12-seed has ever made the Final Four. They battled up, they were up 17 at halftime. They let Oregon State come all the way back. That was the concerning part. Oregon State didn't go down without a fight. And a late three late makes the final score closer than it really was. Houston wins by six, but it really was nine. And they advanced to the final four, not playing a double, well, anything but a double-digit seed. I talked about Scott Drew's reclamation project at Baylor. Kelvin Sampson had done the same at Houston. Kelvin Sampson was run out of Indiana. Because at the time, what he was doing was thought to be illegal. Nowadays, it's laughable. He basically got kicked out of being Indiana's coach for being on the phone too much, talking to recruits, doing all this, you know, hefty recruiting and other things. But this was at the age in which cell phones and technology weren't as much in our daily lives as they are today. Nowadays, that seems just utterly asinine that a coach would be in trouble for reaching out too much to a player that he's looking to bring into his program. But at the time, that did Kelvin Sampson in. Kelvin Sampson was kind of blackballed from the NCAA for multiple years. He was trying to find his way to get back into coaching. He coached in the NBA for a little bit as an assistant coach. Then finally, he had the opportunity. And he took the job at Houston. And at the time, Houston wasn't yet in the American Athletic Conference. They get into the American, so that helps a little bit already. Then he slowly, continuously builds a program one step at a time. Now, they're in the Final Four for the first time since the Five Slam and Jamma era when Houston went to three straight Final Fours in 82, 83, and 84. Calvin Sampson just didn't do this by himself. By himself. 
Bringing in Quentin Grimes was a massive, massive haul. Grimes started his college career as a five-star prospect who went to Kansas. Things didn't go so great with Bill Self, so he left, returned home to Houston, and takes his hometown school back to the Final Four. Grimes playing like a second or third team All-American. Dejon Giroux, the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. The hard-nosed senior who's had to work his whole life to get to where he is, getting out of the poverty outside of New Orleans. This team is built with a lot of character and with a lot of guys who have really earned their spot. Houston is a team that, you know, I, th- I don't think gets enough respect. I know, I know I probably don't even give them as much respect as they deserve because they don't play anybody in the regular season. The American Athletic Conference, for the most part, is a joke. It's not really a power conference. It's closer to a mid-major than it is a power five conference. They lose some poor games in there. People give up on them really easily. But they're in the final four. And sure, they only played double-digit seeds. They didn't get to choose their path. They played what was in front of them. And I give Kelvin Sampson, Quentin Grimes, Dejan Giroux, the whole Houston Cougar program credit. Because everyone keeps counting this team out, and they just find a way to advance and advance and advance and have themselves in the Final Four for the first time since 1984. So let's preview these two games. We'll start with the first game, which is the Baylor versus Houston game. That is the right side of the bracket. All these game, both these games on Saturday night, the two winners will advance to play to, on the national championship game on Monday night. So, on the right side of the bracket, Baylor out of the south, Houston out of the midwest, two-seeded Houston versus number one Baylor. Baylor, a five-point favorite. This game scheduled to tip off at 5.14 Eastern time on Saturday night, total set at 135. This is the fifth in-state Final Four matchup in NCAA History, first time ever we've gotten an all-Texas matchup in the Final Four. Some other in-state rivalries in the Final Four. 2012, Kentucky beat Louisville. 1962, Cincinnati over Ohio State. 1961, Cincinnati over Ohio State. And in 1954, LaSalle defeated Penn State in the Final Four. This is Houston's first Final Four since 84. They're allowing under 58 points per game. That's second in Division One, Baylor, first Final Four since 1950, 83 points per game. That is sixth best in Division One. This game, to me, should be the more fascinating of the two games. A contrast of styles, but Baylor is no slouch on the defensive end either. For me, I still, I think the difference in this game is the fact that Baylor has so many weapons. So sure, Houston has Dejan Giroux and Quentin Grimes. Bull Baylor will roll out Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague. Then they'll pull in Adam Flagler and Matthew Meyer. Mark Vital should be an interesting mashup for the like of Justin Gorham. Houston definitely can give Baylor a fight. I think five points is a pretty accurate line for this one. The part that scares me with Houston is the fact that they haven't played a caliber team Similar to Baylor, really, all season. Sure, they rallied to beat Rutgers in the NCAA tournament, but they haven't had to play from trailing all that often. They haven't been challenged too much. Baylor had to run through Hartford, Wisconsin, Nova, Arkansas to get to this point. 
Sure, Villanova isn't what they normally are without Colin Gillespie. Arkansas, definitely a good game. Wisconsin, not all that great, but a Power 5 conference team that could really, you know, up the ante. Baylor, to me, also presents the best matchup for Gonzaga. And I've been high on Baylor all season long. And at the start of this tournament, I picked Baylor to win the whole thing. And I think why I still stand by that statement as it currently is, is because of their guard play. The three guards that they have, Butler, Mitchell, and Teague, are a difference maker. No team in the country has three guards like they do. They do it on defense. They do it on offense. They can shoot. They make players around them better. They're senior-laden. They're disciplined. They don't turn over the ball that much. They play smart defense. They tend to not get in that much foul trouble. Baylor controls this game, and I think, although Houston... Has the advantage on the offensive glass. Definitely has probably the advantage on the interior. Baylor's ability to knock down shots ultimately is what downs Houston in this one. Houston just doesn't have the consistency on offense to hang with Baylor. I like Baylor to move on, to cover, and to advance to the national championship. Then we'll move on to the left side of the bracket. 11 seed UCLA versus one, number one overall seed Gonzaga. Gonzaga, a 14-point favorite. This game scheduled to tip at 8.34 Eastern time on Saturday night. Total set at 1.45 and a half. Gonzaga, just two wins away from perfection. 30-0, looking to be the first team since 1976 Indiana to go undefeated and win the national title. Gonzaga. 29 wins this year by double digits, 27 straight. Seeking their first national championship in school history, they were in the national title game the last time they made the Final Four and the only other time they made the Final Four in 2017. UCLA's run to the Final Four ends here. Why do I say it ends here? Because there's a reason Gonzaga's favored by 14. I don't know if they'll win by 14. I definitely think they'll win by 10. 14 seems right around that the cutoff for where it is. This is the largest spread in Final Four history. Gonzaga is the best team in the country. They've shown that. And in not just the tournament, but every game they've played this year, they've been better than every team they've played. They've only only one team has been able to keep it within 10. Jalen Suggs, Corey Kisper, Drew Timmy, all All-Americans. Throw in Andrew Nemhard and even Joel Iyayi. Joel Yayu gets forgotten. He's like the fourth best player on Gonzaga. Dude, it's like a walking tr- potential triple-double. If not, he gets like 17, 8, and 7. And it just goes quietly under the radar because he has three All-Americans on his team. He's one of the best rebounding guards in college basketball. He's an absolute X-factor because when he's knocking down shots, there is no stopping this team. UCLA has been riding Johnny Juzang. I don't think Gonzaga has the defense to just take one player out of the game. But what we saw against the matchup against USC, when everyone thought USC was going to give them a shot because USC plays great defense, well, Gonzaga just made it look easy. Drew Timmy just ate up Pac-12 Player of the Year, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, and probably top three pick in the NBA draft, Evan and Mobley. Drew Timmy just took him out to lunch. You know, fake one way, go the other. Shot fake. Step back. Hit the jumper. Take you off the dribble. Work the spin move. Go to the hook shot. Go back up and under. Use the rim as protection. Drew Timmy put on a master's class. 
now being able to score in the interior. UCLA has no interior presence. So Drew Timmy, you could just pencil him in for 25 and 10 in this game. UCLA's got no one that could stop him. Sure, UCLA slowed down Michigan. They held them to their lowest point total of the season. But Michigan was without one of their best players and one of their best offensive players, Isaiah Liffers. Every time they need a big shot, they had nobody to go to. Well, Gonzaga has that, and they have about four guys they could go to for a big shot. Mick Cronin and UCLA have done a phenomenal job. Getting to this point, going from the first four to the final four is awesome. This is a culture-building move for UCLA as they continue to try and get back to the top of the Pac-12. If this is a building block for Mick Cronin, UCLA definitely has potential to be a national power yet again. And we talked about the first game being the Battle of Texas, two teams playing in-state. This is a battle of the West Coast. And not just because both these teams are on the West Coast, but think about the history of basketball. UCLA was the king of the West Coast. They used to get every best recruit up and down the western shores of the United States. Slowly over time, UCLA has lost its luster with the younger generation. It is not the program that it once was that won 10 national championships under John Wooden. Mick Cronin is doing a phenomenal job to try and change that and bring UCLA back to where it was. But for the last 20 years, no team has been more consistent in college basketball than Gonzaga. They've made every NCAA tournament. They've gone to six straight Sweet 16s. They're looking for their second. They're in their second Final Four in four years. They're looking for their first ever national title as they're finally starting to break through. They were always the team that you know would win 27 to 29 games and maybe lose in the second round of the Sweet 16. They couldn't get over the hump. Well, in the last five to ten years, Gonzaga has gone past that hump. They cracked through for a Final Four two years ago or four years ago. They were a couple of minutes away from winning a national championship. Well, this year, and probably last year, they would have had a chance of making another Final Four. So they're back in the Final Four again this year. They're undefeated. They're the best team in college basketball by by far. They're two wins away from perfection. This is a chance for them to cement their dominance. Not only is one of the better basketball college basketball teams in the last 25 years, maybe one of the better college basketball teams ever, in the way that they've just dominated teams from the start of the season and throughout. But this is also their chance to assert themselves as the best team on the West Coast. Many believe that. Jalen Suggs is the first ever five-star prospect to commit to Gonzaga this past season. They just got another one earlier this year and are the front-runner, the front-runner for the number one player in the class of 2021, Chet Holmgren. He's yet to make his college decision, but the number one school on his list and where... The experts project him to go is Gonzaga. So Gonzaga this year, this coming year, might enroll two five-stars after never enrolling one until this past year. Mark Few has made Gonzaga awesome and a national power. Over the last 20 years, I went from the small school high up in the Pacific Northwest in Spokane, where people used to call them Gonzaga, get their name wrong. To now the number one team in the country, two wins away from an undefeated season, and a chance to cement themselves as one of the best college basketball teams in the history of the sport. Give me the Gonzaga. Give me Gonzaga easily in this game over UCLA. So that sets up a national championship. My projected national championship at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. Number one, Gonzaga versus number two, Baylor. I'm going to stick to what I said. I've been praising Gonzaga. I say they're the best team in the country. Not always the best team in the country wins the national championship. Baylor has been the second best team in the country all season long. 
And if it wasn't for Gonzaga, we'd be talking about how dominant this Baylor team has been. They finally hit their groove. Everyone was counting them out after they went out with a COVID pause. They were out for weeks. They looked bad in their first few games back. They suffered their first loss of the season. They bowed out early in the Big 12 tournament. Everyone said, this isn't the same team. This isn't the same team that we saw pre-COVID. Well, it is the same team now. And for all those suckers that had Baylor losing early in the NCAA tournament, you lost faith in probably the most one of the most complete teams in college basketball. So now they're in the Final Four. And I have them playing in Zag in the National Championship. And I don't necessarily think that they win most of the time. But I'm going to lay out to you how they can beat Gonzaga. Let's go through how they match up head-to-head. Point guard. So you're going to take Jalen Suggs versus Macy Oteek. Sure, you give the, give the edge to Jalen Suggs and Gonzaga. Shooting guard. Jolie Ayer or Jared Butler. I'll take Jared Butler. First team All-American. Davion Mitchell versus Corey Kispert. Actually, scratch that. Davion Mitchell versus Andrew Nemhard. Give me Davion Mitchell. Corey Kispert versus Mark Vidal. I'll take Corey Kispert. Drew Timmy versus Flo Thamba, Jonathan Chamu, Chachua. Whoever you want to put inside for Baylor. I'll give that to Drew Timmy. So out of the starting five, Gonzaga has the edge 3-2. to two. Then we look to the bench. Gonzaga uses Anton Watson, Aaron Cook, not that many other guys. Baylor gives you Adam Flagler, Matthew Meyer, Jonathan Chamu, Chachawa. Baylor's bench is better. So we're tied 3-3 three to three there. Coaching matchup. Pretty much flip a coin. Some people like to argue that Scott Drew can't coach in the NCAA tournament. They don't think he's that great of a coach. So if you believe that, sure, we'll give Mark Few the slight edge. But really, it's pretty much a toss. So then you're on a neutral floor. What team has the pressure of being 40 minutes away from an undefeated season and national championship, becoming the first school to do that in almost 40 years. While one school is looking for their, the other school is looking for their first national title in school history, they've only made the Final Four just three times. There's a lot of pressure on both sides. But what does each team do well? Baylor is the number one team in the country in three-point percentage. Gonzaga, sure, they score better than everybody. But Baylor's path to victory is a combination of their last two games. Their game against Villanova. If they can play the defense like they did in the second half, what they did was they took away everything that Villanova wanted to do. And I don't think that Baylor can do that with Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is still going to get theirs. But the matchups for me are how does Mitchell, Davion Mitchell, match up with a Corey Kispert? How does Jared Butler and Macy Oteague, and even we'll throw in a Matthew Meyer. So you put Matthew Meyer on Corey Kispert. Then you have Mitchell on Joel Ayai, a Jared Butler on Andrew Demhard, or and Macy Oteague on Jalen Suggs. Or maybe they'll switch Mitchell on to Suggs because he's a better ball handler. Baylor can turn you over. They changed the game with their defense in that game. And it's a whole team collective effort. Baylor's defense is something that Gonzaga hasn't seen. Their ability to force turnovers. Their ability to score easily in transition. Gonzaga wants to get up and down the floor. They want to be able to score, score, and score. And Baylor likes to play with that same tempo. And Baylor, I think, is the only other team like Gonzaga that can turn defensive stops into easy transition points. So those two things kind of cancel each other out. Baylor is a better three-point shooting team. For Gonzaga, being so good at scoring points... They're not that great of a three-point shooting team. They're not terrible. They shoot like 37%. But Gonzaga is really good in two-point range. They shoot over 60%, close to 65% from two-point range. So if Baylor can 
stay within themselves, force Gonzaga to settle for jump shots instead of getting looks to the rim like they easily do against pretty much everybody. And if Baylor has one of their better shooting days from the floor, this game is going to come down to the wire. Both these teams have experience. I like Kispert and Timmy uh, for Gonzaga, but the three-headed guards for Baylor, all being you know redshirt juniors or older, all of them living up to playing under pressure. I don't know. For some reason, I have a strange feeling that Baylor, if they make this game close and the pressure ramps up on Gonzaga and Gonzaga finally is met with some frustration on the offensive end, it just takes Baylor to knock down you know, one of their better three-point shooting games of the season, and they win this game. I'm going to stick with Baylor. I still think Gonzaga is probably the best team in the country, and I would be happy and elated for a program like that to go undefeated, capture the national championship, and be the story of the sport. Because in a year where there's no Duke, no Kentucky, North Carolina is not that good, UConn bowed out early, all these other big blow bloods, Kansas was underwhelming in the tournament, all these other huge schools, and the reason why people watch March Madness because they love these big schools and you know all the history. Having a school like Gonzaga, who's been the best team in the sport for the last 20 years, finally get their validation, win a national championship, and go undefeated, that is so awesome for the sport. And I just want the the matchup that we should have gotten earlier this year. Gonzaga and Baylor were supposed to play back in December. The game got canceled on the morning of. Give us the matchup that we want, that we've wanted to see this whole season. Let it be a culmination of the year that was unlike any other. In a college basketball season that was so different. Give us Gonzaga and give us Baylor. I'll take Baylor and be on the lone side of taking Baylor in this game. But just give us the matchup we all want. They're the two best teams in college basketball. They have been all season long. They've been a cut above every other team. Let's have them play for the all the marbles in the national championship. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Storming the Court. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, follow it on Spotify, or wherever else you download your podcast. We'll be back with immediate reaction following the national championship next Monday, so that hopefully should come out next Tuesday morning. You can follow everything you need to know about the show on Twitter at Rye underscore Cone. That's R-Y underscore C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the Final Four. We'll talk to you once we have a national champion. Till then, take care.